Hi, and welcome to Real Good Stuff. We are here today recording at A Million Drops Learning Center here in East Hollywood in our new recording space. Yay! Beautiful. It's yes. beautiful with our big love, logo Especially the Real Good us. Stuff yes. logo behind us. I mean, it's amazing Ooh. what they did with that logo. It's like colorful and bright and comforting. I love it. It's hand painted with watercolors. Well, this is a this is a print of it. Yeah, but it's, it's hand painted with watercolors, and we've got the business cards now sitting right in oh, front of yeah. us. Just as beautiful Thank as you, the painting behind Bovary us and, and butterfly yeah. for the business cards, little guy design uh, for the logo, and uh, to our sponsor, a million drops, and yeah, Micah, the sponsor. director and founder. We're so grateful. <laughs> our guest today is Chevelle, one of our podcasting students. Hi, hey, Chevelle. How's everybody doing out there in Wonderland? <laughs> So, Chevelle, you've been in the classes with us since the beginning of August, right? Yes, I you've have. You've been to practically every single one. Yes. Yeah. Loved every everyone learned something very valuable about podcasting that it's just more than just listening to yourself and listening to others. There's a lot more behind all of this. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. there's a a lot. Unpack that. There's a lot more <laughs> a lot behind more. all of this. And you're wearing a yellow flower behind your ear, which <laughs> I think is awesome. I love that. And we're sitting here surrounded by sunflowers. I yes. love that, too. Um, <laughs> thank you to Andrew uh, from Hollywood Adventist Church for the beautiful vase donations. So, Chevelle, you said something really powerful right now that it is more than just about podcasting and about listening. Um do you want to like maybe like talk about what it is then? Because it is more than that. I've always told everybody whenever I have a very deep conversation that I can only speak from my own experience. So I want everybody to understand that. So whatever I say today is only coming from what I lived or what I feel I've lived. So the classes I've, I've taken here with, with Scott have been wonderful because... Um, you know, they've taught me a lot of things and how to, you know, basically do a podcast, which is more than just speaking into a mic. You know, there's editing part, they're setting it up. There's so much more that goes into it just than what just meets the eye. You think it's just about speaking and it really isn't. And um, it's, re it's really funny that we're, our topic today is about vulnerability. And um, maybe this, you know, goes together with podcasting because there is a certain part of you that has to be vulnerable to be able to be open enough to allow people to be themselves on the mic or be open enough so you can interview them and be yourself with them. Oh my gosh, you've been listening. I'm so proud. <laughs> I'm so proud. Proud post podcasting mentor moment. <laughs> um, yeah, like, and I think that's something that we discovered with you together. Uh, in class a few yeah. weeks ago, right, where you kind of yeah. had a, well, I don't know. Do you want to? Do you want me to tell, or do you want to? You want to tell what happened that day and like your moment at the table because it was kind of a quiet day. There were only a few of us, and it was beautiful. 
um, I don't know. Do you want to share briefly? Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely share. I don't know if I can do it briefly, but I'll, <laughs> I'll definitely share, though. <laughs> so today's topic is about vulnerability. And so I'm going to speak about ex- something that had happened to me maybe, what, a week ago? Was it a week ago that that happened? I think it's been a couple weeks now. Okay, a couple weeks, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I've lost track of time in November. It seems like it's going so fast. Yeah, so I was with a friend, and um, we were just uh, hanging out at, at the bus stop waiting for the bus. Mm-hmm. And so um, I have the the audacity. No, I'm just <laughs> I have the, the natural ability to just be able to um, take a boring moment and make it something interesting for myself. Okay. You know, because I usually do something, I start with myself, and then if somebody enjoys it, that's great. If they don't, well, you know, I'm not hurting anybody. Yeah. So I decided, um, instead of just sitting there and waiting for the bus, I was just going to do a couple of dance steps. Right. So I decided, being typical Chevelle, I just started doing my little dance steps, and I started dancing. So it's normal for people to, you know, go by in their cars and, and, you know, take out their, their, their cell phones, and they record me, and... Other people, woo, you know, you're so great and whatever. And how, all right, keep going, do do whatever you do. And every now and then you get someone that flip you off or, or say some something offhand, whatever. But usually it's all positive, mm-hmm. you know. So there I was dancing and, and there was this lady behind me. And she called me out, which is, very, you know, older woman, maybe in her 60s. It's not It's not abnormal that anybody would call you out. But I mean, it was just. I was so into it, and then she just kind of, and I thought, oh, okay, well, maybe another fan. So she goes, come over here, come <laughs> maybe over another fan. I love how that's no, where your mind went. <laughs> maybe maybe she's a fan. She's another fan. So she just kind of like, she goes, like, come over here. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, I was happy. And then she goes, and she said it in such a, like, like a serious mom moment. That's what took me off hand, Scott, because mm-hmm. she was just like, are you okay? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, you know, the way you're acting, you must be on drugs. And that threw me off, Scott. I was like, what? I was like, I was expecting somebody totally different. Mm-hmm. So she was like, oh, my God, is there something wrong with you? You know, the only people that act like that are people on drugs right. that are high or on crack or something. And Or um, people that love to dance and are just yeah, dancing yeah. while they're so at the bus stop. Like, I mean, like that couldn't have been what was really going on. But anyway. <laughs> Her implicit bias was getting in her way. Go ahead with yeah, your story. Yeah, so it was really, it was like really <laughs> weird because it was like one of those weird moments where you're just like expecting something else totally and mm-hmm. then something else happens, you know? Yeah. It's not at all what you thought. And so she was like, you're on drugs, right? And I was like, no, ma'am, I'm not. She said, no, you're on drugs. And I said, no, ma'am, I'm not. And I said, wait a second, I have to go get my friend something. And so I think I went to go give him a pin or something. Or I don't know what he wanted or, or maybe the lighter. Mm-hmm. And so people are going to go, oh, my God, you get the lighter. Cause no, he, you know, whatever. He was smoking a cigarette, whatever. I went and gave him a lighter. And then I went back because to Because giving someone a lighter doesn't or mean you Yeah, drugs. or whatever. I and so There's I w- so much implicit bias. When you shared this story the first time, I was like, everybody's jumping to conclusions. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it sounds like one of my life stories. <laughs> yeah, and it was like so weird, Scott, because I, I went back to her and I told her, I told her, okay. And she goes, oh, my God, you are on drugs because you just gave him something. And I go, excuse me? And she said, no, I know you gave him drugs. And she was so convinced that I was doing drugs that she was trying to convince me that I was doing drugs. Well, because you needed help, she thought. 
No, I don't know. She just, I don't Who know knows? if I wanted. People she, shame <laughs> addiction in weird ways. It wasn't her business in the first place if you were on drugs anyway, even though you're not. But that's a whole other topic. But it's just weird, though, because it's. Well, just, this is L.A. It's not rural Washington, and people are going to get in your business. But it was just the way she said it. She just said it, like, so convincing. She was like, no, you're on drugs. And I was like, no, ma'am, I'm not. She said, no, you're on drugs. She was like adamant. She was like, no, I know you're on drugs. She was like, I'm going to convince you you're on drugs. Even though, <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to laugh not to cry because it was just really sad. Okay. Because there's this woman that doesn't know even my name. But yet she sees me dancing and I'm just like very positive. People have just driven by me. Some are, you know, with their cell phones out and recording me. And other people are screaming, yeah, woo, whatever. And she calls me out and she's trying to honestly convince me, even though I know I'm not on drugs, that I'm on drugs. Mm-hmm. I never had a feeling like that of somebody at that age that was so adamant, you know, no, you are on drugs. I'm going to convince you you're on drugs. And I was like, it just, it just took me out of my body for a second because I was like, am I on candid camera or is this like punked or is this all a joke? Is, is somebody going to come out and say, you're punked? Or, you know, maybe this is all just set up, mm-hmm. you know, and it wasn't. So um, that goes back to um, perceptions. Well, I was just curious, though, why I brought that up. Yeah. Um, I want to maybe kind of, I don't know, I kind of maybe want to edit that out, what you just shared a little bit. Oh, what, per- what part? Well, well, no, 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 because what I really wanted to ask you about was that day in the podcasting class. Not the events that led up to it. Oh. So can we go back to that? Oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Because I also kind of felt like that was. I kind of felt like that was a lot of like, um, oh, I'm on drugs. You know what I mean? And it kind of. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah. I want to be careful that we're not addiction yeah, shaming yeah, yeah, in the yeah, podcast yeah, as well. Yeah. Right? Oh, I'm sorry. Does I that make sense? Yeah. I because it kind of sure. like I know, but I'm okay. I want to go back to that though because that day that you had that moment in the class. Yeah where you showed vulnerability, that's what I was asking about. Does that oh, make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We wanted yeah. me to so talk let's go about back. I'm how ask... I felt about that moment. Well, well, no, 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 no. The moment in the class where we talked about vulnerability. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. You remember that, that day in the class? Yeah. Where you had that breakthrough when you broke down and we talked yes. about vulnerability and not always being sunshiny. Yes. When you're recording and uh-huh. realizing that there's... All yeah. moments. Yeah. So can we go back to that? We'll definitely go back to that. Because I, I think that's valuable. I think we can leave that maybe part of it in. But I felt like we kind of... You don't want to... Yeah, we you totally We round around that point of like, you're not on drugs. I'm not on drugs. I've never done <laughs> yeah. drugs. It's like yeah. that was a little too... Yeah. Like I want to be conscious of that. Yeah. Because people that are on drugs are also struggling. Too. Yes, exactly. That's a part of vulnerability. Okay. Um, so Chevelle, there was a really great moment a couple of weeks ago in class where... There wasn't a lot of us. There were only a few. And you really opened up and you displayed vulnerability in a way that I had not seen you display before. Um, And it changed the way that you get behind the microphone. And I don't know if you noticed that, but I noticed that. Do you want to speak to like that day and like what that felt like to like... Because coming to L.A. and the experiences here, it's a very vulnerable experience, right? Yes, it is. So how did that feel that day in class to like sit there and have that kind of, not really a meltdown, but like a breakdown and cry in front of people like that? Mm, the the basic feeling overall of being in front of people and being vulnerable is, is really not new to me. But this situation that happened to me was. Mm-hmm. 
So when I was in class and I spoke about that and the vulnerability of me being in a situation that I felt I was being um, prejudged mm -hmm. or somebody's perception of me was right. totally not what it really was, made me feel very vulnerable. Yeah. You know, because I, I um, maybe I was wrong, too, because I perceive this lady. I mean, we all have these perceptions of certain moments and people. And I really felt like she was going to come tell me something else. And so all those feelings and me bringing them up in class um, were really kind of hard, but it helped me to let all that stuff out, mm -hmm. you know, help me to realize that um, these are of everyday occurrences um, that we go through here in mm -hmm. LA. Now, would they help in with it? Would these kind of occurrences happen in Northwest? Um, honestly, I don't think so. You know, I've been, um, you know, not that I'm trying to calculate how many things have happened to me, good or bad here, but the all the years that I've lived in the Northwest and all the time that I've lived here, I've lived more stuff in this short time I've been here mm -hmm. than I've lived in all those there's years in the Northwest. There's a lot more people here. There's a lot more yeah. going on. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot more going on. But I mean, and there's a lot more honesty. You know, here? a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. People are oh, honest. Yeah. Honest. I don't know if you want to say honesty in the way of like, I'm really telling you the truth, but I'm being honest my, with my feelings because when people are angry they're angry when oh, they're yeah. happy they're happy yeah so when they want to tell you something they're going to tell you there's no buffering there's no nothing it's just like okay like that lady she said okay you're this and this and i was like yeah so that put me in a very vulnerable state because i'm not used to that Scott. Yeah. i'm not used to people just coming up to me and, and you know basically telling me what i am or what i'm judging doing. you yeah. judging you right like right there oh right. see i am so used to it yeah you probably are yeah, because you've been here yeah. longer well and and it happened to me in my hometown too so i think maybe oh, okay. our our experiences like your experience in washington state growing up and my experience in oregon state growing up on the coast i think we're a little maybe a little bit different in yeah. some ways like because i certainly I certainly felt judged. And so when I came here, I came down here for college the first time in 96. And the college that I went to, Azusa Pacific University, I did feel super judged there too for yeah. being queer and being at a Christian university. Here in LA? Yeah. Oh, wow. Out in the suburbs. Yeah. Okay, oh, yeah. yeah abso suburbs. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's tons yeah. of people here that aren't okay with LGBTQ people. Huh. We just assume that that's the case yeah. because we're in the city. Um, but there's people like that everywhere, right? It's people. People yeah. are people. People, are, no um, matter. What, that's very true. Where, no matter where you go. Coming to LA for me then, after APU, and then moving to Altadena, and then moving to Hollywood the year after, and then moving adjacent to Koreatown the following year in 2000, it really, it shifted things for me because. Really? I all of a sudden was in a place where I could be anonymous, yeah. where I could be who I was, completely who I was, because so many other people were. Yeah. And the part of LA that I was living in at the time hadn't been gentrified. I mean, this was 2000. Yeah. LA, the face of LA, the face of Hollywood, the face of downtown has changed a lot. Yeah. Um, and so there were a lot of creative people, and I just I felt like I could be more of myself here than I could be back in Oregon. Yeah. And I even noticed that when I went back to Oregon at 36 and was there for six years and came back here and just, you know, the way that I dress, you know, and just like, I'm a lot more colorful down here. Like yeah. my personality was colorful up there too. But like 
that for me, there's more of a freedom here because definitely I've kind of learned to just ignore those people that are like, I was walking down this, I was waiting for the bus last night and I hear this guy like yell at someone, oh, you're 40, you should just go kill yourself. What? So you hear all sorts of stuff here in the city. And so <laughs> after having That's been crazy. here for so long and he wasn't uh-huh. speaking to me, but it's like, I mean, he was wearing skinny jeans. I think that's more of a crime than being 40 years old, but that's another story. Um, but it's like the ability here to be who we are. Yeah. Right. As what really brought me back here yeah. to the city was I felt like there was that opportunity to be vulnerable where in a place like my hometown, although I love the beach and I love some of the people that are there, there's less of a chance to be vulnerable because people have these, everybody already knows you. Everybody already knows your story. Yeah. It's hard to change your or story. Or they think they know your story. Well, that's implicit bias. Yeah. And, right? That's kind of yeah. what that lady was doing to you exactly. at the bus stop when you were dancing, right? It's kind of what we do to everybody. We don't always even mean to do it, but we have yeah. these perceptions or implicit yes. biases about people, about groups of people. Stereotypes is yeah. another th- way to think about Definitely. it. Definitely. And just acknowledging that and acknowledging that's it's very vulnerable to be who we are as LGBTQ folks, as creative folks, as empaths, as people who are the folks who lift people up regularly because that moment that you displayed in class where you cried, I get the feeling that people oftentimes in talking with you, people come to you kind of like much like they might come to me as a, well, you lift me up, Scott. You're so positive. And so if you're down, it's hard for you to be down even for a few minutes because people expect you to be up and they expect you to be happy. And so for me, that was such a, a beautiful moment in class with you where that kind of vulnerability behind the microphone is what gets people to open up. Right. And People do want to open up to those of us that are empaths just in general. I've certainly noticed that in my life. But there's something that happens with nervousness behind the microphone. Oh, definitely. Right? And so folks that might open up more easily are a little bit more hesitant to open up to us behind the microphone. So if we can make ourselves more vulnerable, right? And and realize that being human is like a full thing. Like it's not always just being happy. We're living in like a positivity toxic culture right now where yeah. everyone's like, just be happy, just be happy all the time. Everything's gotta be happy and you gotta manifest your best life. And yeah. you know, I gotta put everything beautiful on Instagram and everybody's gotta think perfect things about me. Yeah. But that's not reality. That is not reality. <laughs> Even though we should, I always I always feel that um, this is what my mom um, taught me. She said, if things don't work out today, always remember tomorrow there's another day to to make things happen the way you want. And so I think that's such a positive way of looking at things. But she also told me too, if there's something that is bothering you, talk about it. Mm-hmm. Let it out. Don't let it eat at you. Yeah. Do something about it. Don't, I mean, she never said become violent or do something that's negative. She just said, but don't let it just sit in you. Yeah. You know, let it out speak with a friend, go for a walk, which you would always tell me because I would say, Mom, I have all this stuff on my mind. I just don't know what to do. She would say, get up, go outside, and go for a walk. Mm-hmm. Get some fresh air. And you'll notice that you'll see th- things in a different light. And it's true. 
go outside and you're literally not sitting... in a different light because you're yeah, out in the you sunlight. Yeah, you do. You go on the, <laughs> I'm you sorry, go I just, the sunlight. I just noticed that that, that yeah. like connotation right there is yeah, so Yeah, and you true, just though. feel the fresh air and mm-hmm. then you're not sitting there just feeling sorry for yourself anymore. Right. Now you're in another environment. Now you're out in the open and you're vulnerable. Again, vulnerability is such a big part of life, right? Yes, and and it's actually a lot of people think that vulnerability is a weakness. See, this is the, let's 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 really break it down. What it so it's what not it weak? No, it's not weak it's to not. be vulnerable. No, no, no. Really? That's, vulner- I thought it was. No, no, no. Well, at least not for <laughs> no, me. I'm going to tell you what I, I think vulnerability <laughs> means to me. What does vulnerability mean to you? Vulnerability means to me that you can be the most honest, the most caring. And the most you at a moment that people are even took them back like you were. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're basically opening yourself up to all kinds of judgment. Right. But it's it's it, to me. It's like this is though. If I were to put it in the like in the metaphor, it's like if you were an actor because we're all actors and we all go out and you know front of the crowd, whatever. But I, you know, vulnerability to me is like this whole different level. It's like if you were to take off all your clothes. And go right on stage. And then you were to ask everybody, what do you think? Mm-hmm. That's vulnerability to me. You're putting yourself so out there that um, you don't know people's reactions. Mm-hmm. You're just being who you are. You're being at the most raw, real person that you can be. And that's who I was being at the other day when, right. when I spoke about that. And I cried because there was no other way I could be. There was no other mm-hmm. way I could fake it and just say, okay, Scott, I'm being someone else. No, or I could act this. No, I was just being honestly the most vulnerable. And you got to always remember, when you're the most vulnerable, it could go both ways. People could totally be sympathetic to you, or they could be so bothered by your realness and just ignore you, or even mm-hmm. be kind of rude. Right. Like, don't cry. Don't be a baby crier, or man up. I've had that said to me a million times. Mm-hmm. You know, man up. Why should you cry? Yeah. You know, so that's that's a part of vulnerability that you have to always remember in life that um, you should always be vulnerable. But you should also remember that you don't know what someone else's um, feelings are going to be once you are. You know, I love to cry. Me, too. I think it's super helpful. I know it's super helpful. I know that it's something that I've always emotions have always been easy for me to access and when my yeah. dad was still alive he would talk to me about that a lot that like yeah. i have this ability to to reach out and, and and be yourself and let people know who you really are and express my emotions yes. right? i think that's Very why people easily. come up to you and yeah. are able to talk to you right because yeah. they don't know they don't always know how and they don't always know what to do or what to say i don't think he did for years yeah. and i think me being his son helped me in a lot of ways and helped him in a lot of ways because it was what, you know, brought us close together when I was an adult. Yeah. Um, and enabled us to talk was the fact that I can express my feelings so yeah. openly. Um, and he knew, I mean, he knew I have, I have suicidal ideations, you know, he knew about all of that. There's been a lot of, you know, trauma in my life that has led me there. Yeah. Um, but he knew, and he was very patient and he is always very, well, I tried to, you know, I tried to leave home the first time at like age five. Wow. So, yeah. So, I mean, talk about vulnerability. Yeah, that's vulnerable. Um, and just always kind of feeling, well, he was adopted and, and 
always kind of feeling that when I was a kid. Like I didn't belong where I was. Yeah. And that carrying over into my adult life, like always kind of seeking approval like, or something. Well, not approval. Um, being an outsider, right? Being an outcast, yeah. being a person who was always excluded, right? At the church, I was excluded. In school, I was excluded. Yeah, especially you know? from a small town, right? Yeah. And so when you get to that point and then you get into your adult life and it continues happening and you continue not fitting in, yeah. you start to question where you belong. Yeah. And then I end up in all these different situations before that I realized that anthropology was my passion and that I was sometimes kind of doing this on purpose that I'm different for a reason. Right. Yes. And it's not about seeking approval. It's, it's, it's about inclusion. It's about realizing that we all have a lot of differences and that my vulnerability, my difference is also my gift, my gift to see the person in the room who's being left out. My gift to see the person on the street that everybody's ignoring. Right. Yeah. Because I know how that feels. Oh, right. Definitely. And, so I think there's a there's a a pattern in our culture to victim blame people, whether it's homelessness yeah. or mental health Definitely. or anything like that, and say, oh well, you know. So you're like you just said, you're you mentioned seeking approval. Well, no, it's I didn't ever fit in, and so it was this constant like, oh, is my creativity valid? Right, yeah. because all these other people are getting attention, but my creativity was always so different. My creativity was always a different thing. Even, even with music, like as I got older, I was not really into singing solos. I was more about like the community, and I didn't get yeah. that. Like, why was it important? Because everybody else was like, "I want to be up in front," and I was <laughs> yeah. always like, "No, I want to sing with the group." Yeah, and that seems so counterintuitive to everything I was seeing, you know, in TV and in movies and yeah. in real life of this, like everybody else wanted to be up in front. Everybody else wanted to be the star. And even with this podcast project that I've been a part of now since 2015 and podcasting and getting people into the recorded space, like realizing that like it's a community effort. Yeah. Definitely. It doesn't happen with just one person. And yeah. I'm drawn to stuff like that. I'm drawn to projects. I'm drawn to places where everyone is included yeah. because I know what that feels like to be othered or be not good enough or not look a certain way or, oh, you're too gay or, you know, your voice is too loud or yeah. you laugh too loud, whatever it is, right? Um, you're too fat. You know, I've heard so many things in my life. And so just understanding there's a lot of people that feel that and a lot of people that are presenting that they are confident because again, we live in this toxic positivity culture where yes. everybody's got to like, they've got to always like, I've got to look perfect and I got to have the yeah. perfect body and I've got to have the perfect clothes and I've got to be perfect, perfect, perfect. And I'm exactly the opposite. Like I want to look a little wrinkled. I want to look a little, you know, like that because it's vulnerable and yeah. it's real and I'm a real person, right? We're real people. Yeah. You said something really interesting though that made me think about myself. You said, I just wanted to be a part of the community. And maybe there's a part of you that, um, you know, when you're part of a community or you're part of any group, which all of us want to be a part of something, mm -hmm. you know, you feel less vulnerable because vulnerability is different to everybody. Vulnerability, maybe to you, maybe it's something to be dangerous. Mm -hmm. Like maybe if I'm alone 
or I'm vulnerable and there's nobody around me or I'm not a part of a group, maybe I'm more um, people are able more easily to hurt me or do right. something to me. So um, I understand that totally wanted to be a part of something. That I do, but um, this is going to sound really weird, but I've always felt that it's more important to be who you really are, even if you are by yourself. And I've always been like a loner like that, mm -hmm. you know, so I haven't been like, you know, I'm the alpha male and I want people to believe in what I'm saying. I've never been a leader, definitely never been a leader. I don't want people to follow my lead, but I've never been a follower either. You know, I've never said, okay, well, I'm going to follow these people because it's something I want. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll be with a group because that's, we're all working together for a goal. Like right. in choir, I've been in choir since I was, what, six, seven years old. Okay. So choir has always been um, something I'd love to do with people because it's a, it's a, it's a group thing and I don't feel vulnerable, but mm -hmm. it's never important to, it's, it's never been that important to me to feel vulnerable. Like if I've been with a group or without a group, that doesn't matter to me, mm -hmm. you know, cause I'm vulnerable when I, when, when I feel I have to be, mm -hmm. you know, cause I, I always believe I'm vulnerable, vulnerable when I want people to really understand where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. Like that day that I was talking about what happened, I was just trying to explain what I really felt mm -hmm. and I wanted to be vulnerable. Yeah. So I chose that. But, um, there's people that are afraid to be vulnerable because they think they're going to get hurt, mm -hmm. you know? So, um, what do you feel about that? Do you think vulnerability has something to do with being alone or or maybe that has nothing to do with? I think it depends upon the person and the situation probably. Yeah. Like for me, for me, I wasn't alone. Yeah. Although I felt like it, you know, growing up as a queer person in such a small town in Southern Oregon. Um, it was very isolating and yeah. I felt like there was nobody to talk to. And um, honestly, even being back there for six years, even being in Portland, I felt like there was nobody to talk to. And it wasn't until coming back here and, and struggling for so long uh, to kind of get myself, my, my feet, so to speak, back yeah. under me in Los Angeles. Um, but it took a long time and remembering back to when I came here the first time, it took about two years, Yeah, you know, when I was at APU and all of that. Um, after I got down here to really like feel like, okay, I'm good now. Yeah. Like I'm set. Um, and I'm starting to feel that way. And it's just, we're just at the two year mark. And I find, I was thinking about that the other day and I find that ironic. Uh, I think I will always feel vulnerable. And I think I will also also feel always isolated and alone. I think really? that's just part I think that's part oh, of that's interesting. I think that's part of I think that's part of uh I don't wanna say it's my makeup. I think it's the the environment that I grew up in and just being who I am in the queer community that yeah. like is kind of more on like the asexual spectrum of being queer, yeah, you know, and just kind of feeling like, you know, always like being the, oh, still being the weird one in the, in yeah. the queer community and like, you know, not liking West Hollywood and not really even now like thinking that bars are, bars are just not my thing. It just is not, I love to dance, but I'm just not really interested in that environment. And 
and finally being okay to tell myself, yeah, I get that's where a lot of people gather, yeah. but that's not my thing. But also like going out hiking in a group really isn't my thing either. Like I yeah. really like, I like being around smaller groups of people. I can and totally I just, understand that. Yeah. And I just have had to accept that about myself at this point in my life that I'm an extroverted introvert. Yeah. Like I love to be around people, but I also don't like to be around large groups of people. Yes. I'm just being conscious of my energy, being conscious of who I am, being conscious of the fact that I'm very, very trusting, but I'm also not trusting if that makes yeah. sense. And so I'll kind of lay myself open to people, but I really hold a lot back. Yeah. Right. Because there's some things about me personally where I'm always like, it's not about getting let down. It just realizing that different, different people have different like temperaments and personalities. Oh, and my personality is very big and I'm very emotional and I love to speak up as we were kind of talking about vulnerability and different things before speaking out was one of those things along with listening. That's a very yeah. vulnerable experience. And I'm that person that just can't help speaking out about injustice. It's hard yeah. for me not to. And that's very vulnerable and it's put me in a lot of situations in my life where I've been that one in churches or in like nonprofits or in groups of friends or in relationships or whatever, where I've been the one that's spoken out and not that it's been held against me, but it's affected me in an adver yeah. in adverse ways. But again, I've had to accept that that's who I am, that I am going to do that. I am going to, you know, just like in the housing that I'm in, speak out about bullying against folks who are LGBTQ and it's still not in the language that LGBT against LGBTQ folks is just bullying and violence in yeah. general. Oh yeah. But at definitely. least we got something on the policies that changed that. Yeah. When I was going through that with a roommate and then he moved on to somebody else and it was like, okay, no, we've got to address this because he's picking on the LGBTQ folks in the house and I won't tolerate this. This is against the law in a shelter environment. Definitely. Um, and it just it's it's just interesting, you know, how I thought at forty five well, excuse me, I'm forty six now. <laughs> Pardon me. Am I forty five or forty six? I can't remember. Let me think about that. <laughs> I was born in nineteen seventy four. I'm so uh. confused. Um I but just acknowledging that that like I'm forty five, sorry. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I've got a little bit of a cold, so my brain yeah. is not completely with it today. Um, but okay. Being 45, I thought that my life would not be in as vulnerable of a state yeah. as it is right now. And I've come to realize again, just like with all these other things I've accepted about myself, this is who I am. It makes me who I am. Yeah. I'm not supposed, I'm not supposed to be like other people and have, multiple cars and a home and all of these kids and you know big screen TVs and be going on all the that's not my personality yeah. that's not my desire my desire is to serve my desire is to help my desire is to have real connections with people yeah. and yesterday at the California endowment with all those LGBTQ youth because a lot of them at the California endowment yesterday for that young people to the front of that yeah a lot of them are LGBTQ and it really hit me, really hit me. That could have easily been me. I know. Isn't that, isn't that interesting that 
nowadays everybody has all these places they can go you know and there's like the lgbtq uh, community that doesn't and make it easy though no it doesn't make it easy i discovered that yesterday as not no, no it doesn't there's still barriers even with the lgbt oh, yeah, center definitely. here but remember there's still barriers just try to go back when you were their age and well, there was nothing in my there was nothing. That's right. There was nothing in my hometown. There, there was period. nothing for us. Yeah. There was nowhere to go. No one to talk to. I mean, even some of the people that supposedly wanted to understand you didn't. Oh yeah. You know, so that made well, it nobody really, really hard for nobody us. really. As a young queer person, nobody really wanted to understand me yes. that way. Most or even of the care, people, probably. Well, I don't think it was they didn't care. I think that's I think that's implicit bias to say yeah. they didn't care because even even the people in my life that were hard on me, yeah. they were doing it because they care. So I think okay. that's a I think that's yeah. a bias statement to say yeah. they didn't care. They do care. It's the lack of awareness. It's like home. I'll bring it yeah, back to homelessness because there's lack so much awareness. There's so much connection to homelessness with, uh, the experience of being yeah. LGBTQ and that being left out and being isolated and being misunderstood and being stereotyped. I've dr- connected it that in so many ways in my, in my experience over the last couple of years, but just acknowledging that, that like even the people that I came out to when I came out at 15, yeah, the people that wanted to understand didn't because there was nobody in my hometown exactly. that was out there was one couple, and thankfully my father was friends with them. Oh, that's And I wonderful. went to go work there. Strangely enough, when I was 15, I got a job at that Mexican restaurant yeah. that these two, this gay couple, gay guys owned. And they were yeah. known in the community for being out and open. And, but I don't know, like, if my dad wasn't friends with them, you know, through his job, would it have would things have been as easy for me with my father, you know? And, um, it definitely wasn't until I was an adult that anybody in my life actually, cause even college people didn't understand. I went through college with most people not understanding. Yeah. And so it wasn't until I was about 24 when I came to LA, even though I was at APU where I started meeting people from off the campus. Yeah. The internet was a thing. I started going into chat rooms, personal online personals and things like that, meeting people and just for coffee dates. Like I wasn't trying to like get action or anything. <laughs> I literally just wanted to meet other people who yeah. were like me. Yeah. I didn't know anybody that was like me exactly. except for these That's two guys from right this there. Mexican restaurant. Yeah. Right. I had nobody else that I knew. And your age. And then somebody. Maybe oh, I your didn't even age care or... my age because I grew up in a town of retired people. So yeah. my age wasn't. I yeah, actually, wasn't, I'm drawn to people that are older than me. Okay. Yeah. So I like people that are older. I'm yeah. not worried about that. I was more worried about, I didn't know people who were queer that were open. Yeah. Openly gay. Or, right. And yeah. and I'm not saying like holding hands and stuff. And because to me, that's not being open. That's flaunting your, your, um, uh, physical affection. And I don't like when straight people do that. When straight people are all over each other too, I'm, I'm I want to be out of there. Get it, get away from me. Like, that's just not get away. Like you need to go off into the corner where people don't have to watch you like dry humping. That's in public. so funny. That's, well, to me, true. I think that's expressions of love. You know, I'm totally well, like, you it's, know, it's okay to hold your hand. Oh, hold hands is one thing, but I'm, I'm saying like just people <laughs> just taking it too far. Like, like way too far. Like go get a room somewhere. Yeah. Like, and you don't even need to get a room. Just get, Go to the park. I don't care. Do what gay people do. Go to the park. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, ser- seriously though, like 
there's such a um a lack of understanding that people think yeah. that LGBTQ young people Definitely. Oh, things are different now. I hear that all the time yeah. from from, and it's usually from older gay white men. Yeah. Oh, but things are different. Like you know, it's twenty years after Matthew Shepard, and things are different. Oh my and gosh. it's like no, things aren't different. There's yeah. still a lot of people that are getting kicked out of their homes. Yeah, because they're Probably LGBTQ. Even more now, actually, in that in the sense of because people there's more people coming out, and then of course if there's more people coming out and no acceptance of these people there's going to be more people that are out on One, the street and a lot of them too don't get don't come out they yeah. get caught yes and that's I think true that's yes. also another that's thing right to talk about caught. is like yeah so, your parent catching you or something yeah. i mean that's kind of what i told my parents yeah i was scared they were going to find out yeah i didn't i didn't want them to know but i was scared they were going to find out and i was telling them everything else and i wanted to tell them that I wasn't doing anything with anybody. I wasn't sexually active. I didn't have, you know, a collection of dirty magazines. None of that. But I knew that they were going to find out somehow. And I was scared. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Because you want to tell them. You want them to accept you. I wanted them to hear it from me. Yes. Not from somebody else. Like, oh, I I think your son is gay. Because I'd grown up being called all sorts of names. Yeah. So for me, it was like... Okay, everybody assumes it's about me anyway, but you know what? I really do think that this is me, yeah. and I wanna, I wanna start like you know whatever. And I started by you know calling it gay when I was fifteen because that's what I knew. Yeah. And as I got older, I realized that queer was more of a, an appropriate descriptor descriptor for me yeah. because it's more it's more politically charged. It's yeah. more um, it's different than gay because it took it out of my sexuality and into my whole personhood. Yeah. If that makes sense, because I felt like it was it was doing me a disservice to say, talk about rethinking stereotypes right now. Um, it was doing me a disservice to reference something and say, I'm gay and it's my sexuality. Yeah. Because it's not my sexuality. It's my personhood. It's tied yeah. into so many things of who I am. My queerness runs through so many intersectionalities of yeah. my life. And I get some people, everybody's experience being LGBTQ is different. Just like everybody's experience as a person is different. But just that acknowledgement of queer fits me better because I'm different. Yeah. I'm queer. It's not about who I sleep with because honestly, that's none of your fucking business who I sleep with. I mean, to be really honest, right? I don't feel like if I want to tell you, absolutely but I don't like it when people yeah. assume and they make the assumption that they can just talk about that part of my life. Absolutely. We'll talk about the fact that I'm queer. Yeah. Who I'm in a relationship with, which I'm not in a relationship, by the yeah. way, if you're listening and you're single <laughs> and you're an activist and you're handsome. Um, just kidding. Uh, but I am single. Okay. Uh, at, at least at the time of this recording. <laughs> That's nice to know, Scott. Vulnerability. <laughs> Vulnerability. Vulnerability. Uh, I just thought we could inject some humor right there. But okay. but seriously, like being queer and being homeless are so similar. Mm. And that feeling for me of being misunderstood, of having people have bias, yeah, implicit bias, right? That that we live in a culture that is homophobic, yeah. right? We want to think that it's not, but it is. It's We live in a homophobic culture. And so it's very violent towards those of us who are yeah. LGBTQ. And so we're experiencing that violence all the time. Just like folks who are homeless, they're experiencing that violence, that criminalization, that that mass narrative of 
there's something wrong with you because you're homeless rather than realizing that no things are just too damn expensive yeah, because of real estate developers sure. colluding with yeah. political you know planning committees and rent. stuff well not just rent property yeah property is ridiculous is expensive everybody who's out there does not live in la rent well, is very expensive but there. it's not just here it's everywhere yeah. go look at the rent in portland yeah that's true. go look at the rent in my hometown in southern oregon yeah. it's not it's not just here. Yeah. This gentrification wave, this wave of development has taken hold everywhere and yeah. income and things have not kept pace with that. Yeah. And so people are not able to afford to live a lot of people in the same way. And it just it's such a vulnerable experience yeah. of like thinking about housing when we live in this culture where again we're told that we all need to have our own place, right? You got to have your own apartment and your own stuff. And oh, if you don't have your own place, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Like, why don't you have your own? Well, um, and oh, you're in your forties and you don't have a car and you don't have yes. a, and oh, you don't own a home. Yeah. And oh, you, why don't you marry or why and, don't you have kids? And, and well, and the vulnerability. Well, I don't, that. I don't, I don't get the whole like, why don't yeah. you have kids thing? Because for me, it's like, oh yeah, I'm queer. I don't need kids. Yeah. Um, but the whole like, you know talking to people that are like well what do you do for work it's the very first thing what do you do for work yeah. what do you do for a living i tell them i breathe for a living right now literally that's True. what i'm doing i'm yeah. breathing for a living i am trying literally to make it through the day yeah. right now every day because of what had happened to me i was already dealing with a lot of stuff before becoming homeless and then that experience of being on the street just like escalated everything for me and Within five days of being on the street, a person can develop PTSD. So, yeah. I mean, just imagine the the things in me that had kind of been simmering yeah, exactly. that I'd already been trying to deal with, and then poof, you're on the street. It's like magnifying glass. Here we come, and I feel like the bug underneath of it <laughs> yeah. that the little kid is like, yeah, oh, yeah, messing yeah. with, you know, yeah. trying to mess with it and try, and it's just like, yeah, vulnerability. It's the birthplace of innovation, creativity, yeah. and change. Brene Brown. I love that quote. So yeah. much happens out of vulnerability. Definitely. And speaking about fathers, um, my mom and dad just arrived on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. And so my dad, um, he had a, a stroke last month. Okay. And he had a seizure maybe three weeks before he came here. Okay. So, of course, the first thing everybody was asking my brothers and sisters, is it possible for him to travel? Yeah. And I was like in a very, very vulnerable state because I felt like I had no say in it. Mm -hmm. Like everybody else was like, okay, we want dad to stay. Screw you. You're the youngest. They just go to see you because you're the baby. You're not married. You know, you're still living out your fantasy dream. You should wake up and get a real job already, just like the rest of us. Mm -hmm. So... They decided to come. They're here with me since Wednesday. But I had a very vulnerable moment with my father this morning. Mm -hmm. So they asked me to go get breakfast. Okay. And so, okay, I'll go get breakfast. Mm -hmm. And so I went and went to, um, I'm not trying to plug in McDonald's, but I went to go get breakfast for, you know, at McDonald's for them. Because my mom really likes um, the biscuits and all that. Mm -hmm. So I went and I came back. And I have a picture by my television or whatever, by wherever I was at. Um, I have um, a picture of somebody I really care about. Mm -hmm. And 
my dad um, doesn't really accept, uh, never really accepted me being pansexual mm-hmm. or, or bisexual, whatever you want to call it. Um, and my mom told me, oh, he was laying down. And my mom said, um, your dad wants you to take that down. And I was like, why am I going to take that down? She said, you know, he doesn't like that kind of stuff. He doesn't like for you to show basically your gayness, you know. And so I felt, (laughs) again, I felt like a very vulnerable maybe six-year-old, five-year-old, and here's daddy telling me I'm being a bad son, you know. Mm -hmm. And so... um, you know, here I am trying to be myself in L.A. The people that I love the most in my life come, and yet I feel like I'm back at home. And my dad's still telling me, I don't accept who you you who you who are, Chevelle. And so all those feelings come back to me, and I'm like, this is crazy. I'm here in my own place, or here where I'm supposed to be. And my dad's telling me, you know, he still doesn't accept the part of me being gay. And you think you've grown up, you think you've seen enough, you think you've felt enough, yet people come back to you. And this is about being real vulnerable. And they'll just take you right back to where you were. When you were five years old, or maybe when you were 13, and they'll say, no, I know you. And this is who you are, and this is who I don't want you to be. And so there I was again, being the six-year-old, and there was my daddy telling me that I was being bad and that I should be a better son and not be gay. And it took me back, and I had to control myself because I was saying, here's this man that just had a stroke. He had a seizure a couple weeks ago, but yet he still can't accept who I really am. And it's like, these are the kind of vulnerabilities I don't want to feel. Mm-hmm. You know, because if anybody you want to really accept you are your parents, mm-hmm. your family. And when they don't, you feel so vulnerable. It's like they're tearing parts of you away that says, okay, this is the part I don't like of you. This is the part I don't accept of you. Mm-hmm. And they're just throwing it to the floor. And you're going, wait a minute. That's a huge part of who I am. Yeah, You cannot throw that away. I do not let you and I, I don't give you the acceptance for you to do that to me mm-hmm. but my dad's almost 90 you think I'm going to argue with my dad at this point if he hasn't got it when I was 6 years old he didn't get it when I was 13 I'm not saying nothing against I, I would die for my parents but I'm saying there's a moment that you come in life where if people haven't accepted you then they're still not going to accept you now you just have to live with it you know I, I adore my dad he's the greatest dad in the world but the part i've never understood is the part he can't just accept me Mm -hmm. he can't accept who i really am he still does not see that and so i still have to be careful around him and so i got brave enough to have the picture out of the person i love and he saw that and he was like told my mom tell him to take that picture off And my mom, instead of him telling me directly, he Mm -hmm. tells my mom. And my mom told me, 
he doesn't want that. And to me, it was like, you know what I'm saying? Um, I don't want that part of you. I don't accept that part of you. You know, it's like the part of me of who I am, Scott. You know, that part is never going to change. He doesn't see that. He doesn't see that. That part of me is with me now, and it's going to be with me until the last breath of my life. You know, and so this is the vulnerability. This is what I wanted to talk about today because I know what those people are going through. The ones that are 15, maybe even 10. I know what, I mean, I'm at this age and I'm still being told I'm a bad boy for being who I am. So imagine the people that are barely going through this. You know, I just, I'm not trying to take away anybody's hope or their feelings or what they're going through. But I just want you guys to know the greatest acceptance in the world is the one that you accept of yourself. Because even your own parents sometimes don't accept you. And so you have to live with that and you have to go on. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's so important. If anybody is really listening to me, I want you to understand that even though you probably heard this a billion times, just listen to what I was saying. My own parents, parent, I'm sorry, my mother has always accepted me. But my own parent, my father, has never accepted me. This just happened this morning, you know. So if people still don't accept you and you're, you know, a ways down the road, they're not going to accept you. There's, mm-hmm. there's no, it's, it's not for you to change people. It's for you just to say, I love me enough to accept myself exactly for who I am. Mm-hmm. And I love them enough to accept them for who they are. Not accept their ignorance or accept their unkind words. But I'm saying I know exactly what vulnerability is about. And I felt so vulnerable because I felt like that five-year-old, that six-year-old again. Mm -hmm. I felt I was back at the ranch. I was with my dad. And my dad was telling me, you know what? You're being a bad son. I don't accept that of you. You know, and that hurts because these are the type of, these are the moments that you want you know, people to really understand, you would think about, it's about time these people would understand you. Mm -hmm. But they don't. And and I understand that. And I hope my brothers and sisters, if they listen to this, that they're saying, I'm being judgmental against my father. I'm not being judgmental. I'm just expressing what has happened to me throughout my life with my father. Mm -hmm. You know, and things will always be like that. He's going to cross over to wherever he has to cross over to. You know, of course, heaven, but he's still going to carry that with him. He's still going to say, why didn't my son ever change? You know, because he always would tell me and still tells me, you know, I want to see you married. I want you to have kids, you know, and I can, I can't be married. I could be married to a man or a woman. I could have children, adopt them, whatever. Mm-hmm. But he wants me to be in a heterosexual, you know, relationship. And so that makes me very vulnerable because it feels like there's not acceptance there from the person that I feel should accept me the most. Mm-hmm. You know, that's my father. You know, he's the one that taught me a lot of things. So the one of the most important parts of my life, he doesn't accept. And so I have to come to the to the idea, the conclusion that he's never going to accept me. Mm-hmm. So I have to live with that. You know, I have to live with that kind of vulnerability mm-hmm. and, and every day deal with that. And it hurts, especially when, you know, they come from so far. My father has gone through so much these couple of months, you know, with the stroke and then with a, with a seizure. And yet he's still my dad Mm -hmm. and I'm still his little six-year-old. That's the way he treats me. And that's the way he sees me still, 
you know, that he could still tell me, oh, you know, I see this about you. You're, you're his, gonna change you're it. his littlest son. Yeah. You're his, you're his baby. Yeah. Of course. You know, so I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to get so emotional, but this is a podcast about vulnerability. So I just want to remind everybody out there that you're not going to always hear me like this, but this is a moment that we got to keep it real. And we got to keep it going. And I want people, even my glasses are steaming. <laughs> I think it's beautiful. And I'm <laughs> such a proud podcasting mentor right now because we've done a few. Uh, this is probably about the sixth time or so that you've been behind the microphone-ish. And um, we've done some test recordings and stuff about different topics. And uh, you even got to record with Micah, the director of A Million Drops, one day. Um, this is the realest that you've been behind the microphone yeah and trust me when i tell you that i relate in such a similar way yeah um but with my mother oh with your mother okay um my father was the one who that accepted, you accepted exactly. me yeah. and he's gone and um my mother and i were not able to have conversations Really, as when I was an adult until my father died. Yeah. And once my father died, she and my brother, my mom and my brother both came back into my life. Yeah. And I'd kind of had my brother out of my life for a long time on purpose. Yeah. And my mom, like, I didn't, I didn't go back to Oregon for the first, like, after about 25, I went on a choir tour up there. And I think the first year I went up for the holidays, but I didn't go back for 10 years at all to yeah. Oregon for anything. And so for me, my relationship with my family is a little bit different than yours. Yeah. I always, I always was the black sheep. I always was the person who uh, didn't fit in. And um, my mom and my brother are, very different in that way. I think yeah. they both, uh, they both love me, yeah. but there's a difference of, um, there's a difference of love in the way that I got from my father yeah. and the understanding from my father. And, acceptance, I think. Well, we had a like beautiful that. conversation when I was about 22 and yeah. I was down here and so, yeah, rather I came down here when I was 22, not 24. Yeah. I apologize. I said 24 earlier in the podcast. I was 22 when I came down here and I remember I remember telling my dad I'm going on coffee dates with guys. Like on the phone one day. This is before cell phones. Yeah. I'm going on coffee dates with guys. And I remember him opening up on the phone and my dad wasn't one to cry. My dad wasn't one to show emotion yeah. ever. Like he was very silly. Uh, he was a Marine. He was very like always like um, he was always in control yeah. of everything. I mean, even his emotions, like he was, just, he was always very like just in control, but he'd be silly. And so for him to be on the phone with me when I was 22 and me be open with him on the phone about, you know, and telling him like, I'm not having sex with these guys. I'm just going out yeah. for coffee. I just want to meet people that are like me and like, I need to figure out more of who I am. And he started crying. Wow. Like really crying. Like really crying. Like I could hear him crying. 
And I remember standing there, even now in the mods APU there. Um, I just, I don't know. It was it's like a, the memory is like, soli- I was looking into the kitchen going, yeah. my father's on the phone with me crying. Like what's happening? Yeah. Um, and it was this beautiful time of just him like apologizing to me and asking for me to forgive him because yeah. he hadn't been there for me yeah. when I was younger and he said, I really wish that I would have come alongside of you a lot sooner when you first tried to come out to us when you were 15. And I really want to ask your forgiveness for that. That's and it was, deep. whoa, it was so deep. It was why wow. when he died, it was so hard for me because he was the one person in my family that was down for me. Yeah. Was with me no matter what. Like unconditional, love. unconditional love. And I'm not saying that my mom doesn't love me a lot. My mom yeah. really does love me a lot. She's a really wonderful person. <coughs> but because of, because of just differences between my mom and I, and just the things that have happened in the past, um, it's been a lot harder and a lot rockier of a relationship there. Yeah. And so when he died, it was very hard to have her and my brother back in my life like that. Yeah. Now, my brother and I, it's, I mean, he likes the real good stuff posts on Facebook when it switches over from Instagram to yeah. Facebook or whatever. I don't know how that works, but I post things and he likes them. But we're not connected on social media. And my mom and I are not connected on social media either. But it's just interesting because I feel more like the cousin. Yeah. If that makes sense in the no, family. that makes total sense. Like, I feel like I'm more like, I have an Aunt Donna. And I feel more like, not like she's my mom, but I'm more yeah. similar to my dad. Like, as I get older, like, stuff didn't matter to my dad. Like, things, like physical things didn't matter to my dad. Yeah. People did. Yes. Connections did. Like um, doing things, being of service, that stuff mattered to my dad. And as I get older, I'm seeing myself more and more and more. And he's the reason why I'm an activist. I mean, I have, you know, activist muses like Daryl Stevens and other people that have inspired me into. Good for him. He taught you well. Well, because that was my whole, my dad's whole life was being of service. Right. And so like losing him you know, in 2013 was such a, a vulnerable, it's not on our list, but grief, you know, like losing someone that we love. Uh, there were many, many friends that I had when I was younger that envied the fact that I would have these beautiful conversations with my dad. I'd be going to hang out with somebody. I'd be walking up on my phone talking or whatever. And they'd be like, Oh, who are you? You're my dad. And they're like, you talk with your dad like that? And I'm like, I yeah. <laughs> but they were like so stunned at like... Like your friend, your best yeah, friend or like something. Yeah, like he's my yeah. best friend. And I mean, we had some beautiful... The last few months before he died, I was in my hometown uh, and staying in the RV next to his house. And we had some beautiful, beautiful conversations. Wow. You know, just he and I and and just yeah. moments where it was like, wow, like... I'm really, really blessed. To, yeah. He's connected to oh, me. Oh, my goodness. So much so because I really, yes. I know that a lot of the, a lot of the empathetic gifts and listening and, and emotional support and all of that, that I have, a lot of it came from him. 
right? It came through his side of the family. Yeah. Not to say that my mom's side is not talented because there's opera composers and you know lots of a famous football star from the yeah. Hall of Fame. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of creativity on my mom's side of the family yeah. too. But there's something about the empathy that my dad had because my mom's very empathetic too, and and knows a lot of people like my dad did. But there was something that my dad had where, like, strangers would seek. And I think maybe my mom, now that I'm speaking about it, maybe my mom has the same gift in some ways. But my dad really got it. And he really saw it in me and he encouraged it. I'm an activist today now because of him. Because this is homelessness. What I'm working on now, this podcast, this activism that I'm doing, he wanted me to do this. Really? We'd been, well, we'd been talking about this for 20 years or more. So he knew you were, what you're doing with real good stuff? Or? No, no, not the podcast. That oh, hadn't, the po- okay. but, but the um, uh, the idea of being an activist, yeah. of like seeing people on the street that needed help, um, of seeing people who needed love, of seeing people who needed connection. Um, yeah. Definitely. That's wonderful. Yeah. So yeah. he he definitely encouraged that. He knew that I saw people in ways that other people did not see them. Yeah. And he wanted me to live into that because he believed that that's why I was here, right, on this yeah. earth is that, you know, we've got enough people buying homes and having children and having two and three cars and going on trips and, you know, all over the world and all of that. We've got enough people doing all of that. Yeah. We need more people. We need more people doing activism. We need more people building community. We need more people teaching other people, you know, stuff like this. Like Mm -hmm. yesterday when I was at the California endowment recording and one of the podcaster or one of the guests was this guy, Tony. Right. And I told, was talking to you about this before Mm -hmm. the recording and we sit down, we're in the lobby of the California Endowment. All these people are walking by. And I just was like, I really liked what you had to say on the panel. And he's on the steering committee for the event. And I was like, the youth steering committee. And I was like, I want to have you like sit down with me. Oh, yeah, I would love to. So we sit down and we start talking and just great conversation. Yeah. And I look at him about an hour in and I made some comment and he goes, oh, well, because... I'm a podcaster too. And I'm like, you are? And he's like, yeah. He goes, I've developed my friend and I. It's like, I don't know, like 10 episodes or something like that. And we've got the outline and everything. And we're about to start recording. And I was just really like stunned. And then and then I said, oh, I teach podcasting. And he goes, you do? And I was like, yeah. And I pointed out the business yeah. card that he was holding, right? My The real good stuff business yeah. card. And, and he goes, where's a million drops? And I told him and he goes, I live right around the corner from there. And he goes, your flyer is like the one for like free for people who are surviving homelessness, but $10 for everyone else. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, and it's pink. Right. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, I've seen that flyer. People have been telling me to go by there. (laughs) And it, an hour into the podcast recording with him was that moment was this brilliant moment of like, here I was again. Yeah. You know, in this, in this vulnerability, in this like being in a space where like youth were the focus, and I'm not youth, I'm 45, yeah. but like being there and hearing these young folks in the early parts of the day talking about like getting kicked out of their homes and not focusing on that, but just yeah. you know that's what led them into being homeless, and 
and me being there and like and and needing to keep it together emotionally because yeah. like I committed to doing this and I was like oh my gosh how am I not gonna cry through this entire day like this is so like this yeah. is heartbreaking heartbreaking yeah. that like this is 2019 and and these young people like a lot of them were like left home or were kicked out of their homes because they're LGBT. This is unacceptable. This is unacceptable people that we're still doing this to kids because that they're LGBT, something they cannot control. Like talk about rethinking stereotypes. If you're listening, stop kicking your damn children out of your house. Like that's not acceptable. That's wrong. And that's, I believe at some point, whoever you believe in is going to hold you accountable for kicking your kid out. Right. Definitely. I mean, talk about judgment. I mean, I just, it's so heartbreaking to me, but just this moment in that of me being nervous about like, who was I going to sit down with and are they going to be comfortable talking with me? And, and when I sat down with him and finding out an hour in that, this is the place that people have been direct numerous people have directed this guy here he'd been wanting to come and had not come and it was just this beautiful moment of we've been talking about we we're relaunching the podcast class right we're starting back over from the beginning and we're going to start reviewing from lesson one right and we've already kind of been doing that and here was someone that wanted to come and just hadn't for numerous different reasons but then was on a podcast with me and was like, oh, wait, you're the guy that was like, is teaching podcasting right by my house. Yeah. And I'm on a podcast <laughs> with you right now. Like, this is amazing. Yeah. And it was just so beautiful to know that, like, all these other people in our culture can do whatever they want. They can go out and they can seek materialism and seek stuff and, you know, seek relationships or seek whatever. Because I used to be one of those people. I was, I was seeking a husband so bad, so yeah. bad for a good part of my life. And when I finally got out of my own way and was like, you know what? I would love to have a partner. Absolutely. It would be great. But I've got so much stuff and so many things that I'm doing and that I'm a part of. Yeah. And so much, so many gifts. Like, it's okay. And I saw it again yesterday, you know, in this beautiful moment of there I was of service. He's been, he's, got a podcast that he's already outlined and he's yeah. already read he's got the topics for each episode and everything and i was just like and guess what it's called the misconceptions of oh <laughs> right that's High awesome. five, and, and <laughs> he was like i just I, the whole thing was just like i mean even down to the name i was like this is so bizarre yeah. but it's not bizarre right like the universe mm-hmm. is is energy and yes. we're all vibrations and we're all and putting now yeah. getting something back in return and, and 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 not even getting something back in return like i think it's just vibrating you know yeah. i don't think it's a i don't think it's always as i'm as i'm growing and learning it's not always like about getting things back it's about no, but just I mean, being open what you give out you know? is what you get back i mean if yeah. you give something negative you usually get something negative in return i think so but i also think that's not positive. quite as a such a direct yeah you know correlation cuz i think we can also get negativity when we're putting out positivity oh definitely so but more of what i was thinking was like we're vibrations and so as i'm out there in the world and i'm vibrating you know, this impact that not just yeah. this podcast, but the activism that yeah. I'm engaging in is having, it's creating an effect, yeah. right, out into the world. And this young man, 
lives in this neighborhood. He's 22. He's got the lived experience of homelessness. We recorded for almost two hours. It was beautiful. And I mean, and he was just like, he was in it. Like the whole, there was no conversation prompts. It was all cold. We were in the lobby. There was, we were sitting like this, but there was people walking around us most of the time talking. And he was just in it, completely in it. And I was like, this is genius. This guy's a natural I can totally see him like yeah. being successful as a podcaster, just like you, you know, yeah. you've got a Thank natural you, talent. Uh, and it just, it really touched my heart because if it wasn't for the LA public library and Locatura radio, I don't know how many times I can shout out to both of them, but yes. if it wasn't for that class that I went to and me just being open to listen to hearing other people go, Oh, this is great. Like the theory on the PowerPoint is great, but yeah. where can we go and try and get on microphones? And I didn't know like either at the time, but I yeah. was just like, we got microphones at a million drops. Definitely. What if we like started talking about the theory and then eventually got the serious folks that were yeah. serious about it on the mics, which is what we're doing now. And it just makes me so like happy because yeah. if I wasn't willing to have been vulnerable and come back to LA, right? Cause that's one of the things on our list is moving to LA. And this is, yeah. this is uh, technically my third time <laughs> moving back to LA. Um, and uh, each time from Oregon, strangely enough. Um, but this experience of coming to L.A. is very vulnerable. Oh, definitely. And especially if you're a creative individual, especially if you're an activist, especially if homelessness is or shelter is part of your um, experience. It's a lot of it's a lot of things kind of yeah. weighing at the same time. And then you add like being LGBTQ and then maybe not being understood by your family. Oh, like you add all of those things together. Yeah. It's a lot of like weight and pressure. Yeah. You know what I mean? For definitely that vulnerability. Pressure, definitely yeah. pressure. You know, especially in um my greatest vulnerability has always been in relationships. I think the most you know, the hardest moments in my life is when I've expressed my vulnerability to my partner whoever he or she that is. And um, I've had it thrown back in my face, Mm -hmm. you know? So I just want people to understand out there, listeners that um, vulnerability is a wonderful thing to have. It is. It's, it's always a great thing to Mm -hmm. have. You should be as vulnerable as you can be, Mm -hmm. but you have to also remember um, just as you are vulnerable, there's people that are out there um, I don't know if you want to say taking advantage of it or know that you're being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of use that against you maybe, or they know this person is so um, caring and giving. So I'm going to see how, as far as I can go and take advantage of this mm-hmm. person or take advantage of their vulnerability. So I'm in a relationship right now with somebody that, you know, we've been off and on for 22 times. Mm-hmm. And so my greatest vulnerability has always been with my relationships. Mm-hmm. That could be family or my sexual relationship with my partner. So um, that relationship that I have with, with my partner, you know, has always been very vulnerable because I'm always the one giving that vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people say it's 50-50. It's never 50-50 in relationship. That's one of the biggest misconceptions people believe mm-hmm. out there. It will never be 50-50 no matter who you think you are. Right. It's either 80-20 or another day it'll be like maybe, what, 30-70, you know, and it always changes from mm-hmm. what side. So 
um, the vulnerability is, I think for me, it's very important to be in a relationship with yeah. somebody and be, because when you're saying you're vulnerable in a relationship, that to me is like saying you're also being honest, mm-hmm. honest enough to be vulnerable, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's why you're able to be vulnerable with somebody and you trust someone so much that you can be vulnerable, mm-hmm. but that's not a two way street. Yeah. You know, there's been a lot of times I've been in relationships where I'm the one being 100% vulnerable and the person's giving 10%. Okay. So the thing is, you could either be somebody you're not and not be Mm -hmm. vulnerable, or you could just be vulnerable and see what happens. Yeah. And so I'm one of those people who always wears his heart on his sleeve. And so, you know, here I am being vulnerable and I'm going to let you know what my vulnerabilities are. Mm -hmm. You know, like my vulnerability is that... um. You know, it matters to me. Mm-hmm. It matters to me what happens to you. My vulnerability is um, maybe the feelings that you give to me um, make me vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You know, those feelings of, of, of you being a little more aggressive or maybe not as giving with your vulnerability or your feelings. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very important that um, even though the person you're with is not being vulnerable. I think you should always be who, who you really are. Mm-hmm. And so if you trust somebody enough that you can be at that place and be vulnerable, I think you should be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You know, even if that person isn't vulnerable, mm-hmm. I don't know if you understand what I'm trying to say, yeah. but to me, it's very, it's very clear. It's when, super clear to me too. Cause yeah. I try to practice that as yeah. much as I possibly can as well. Cause I think it's important to, um, to be open yeah. You know, openness is so open-hearted living. You know, wholeheartedness is what Brene Brown calls it. These folks who live wholeheartedly. Yeah. I certainly see myself as someone like that. Like, I mean, someone can hurt me a whole bunch of times. Oh, and yeah. And as long as, as long as I see that you're trying. Yeah. If you're not trying and you're just doing it to be a jerk, then okay. Yeah, we're done. But no, I really think that most people are trying. You know, most yeah. people are trying and, and I've even, you know, thought of a number of situations in my life recently where, you know, grace has been, um, not just administered to me, but yeah. to other people around me. And I remember finding ground game LA recently and just the conversations there around grace and being gracious yeah. with each other. You know, we're human. We make mistakes. We say the wrong thing. We act out maybe when, when it, it's not the best choice to to act out in that way or a hurtful way. Right. Um, Taking responsibility for it is one thing, but the grace though that other people can have with us of acknowledging that like we're all human. We all have bad days. We're living in a white supremacist culture. We're living in a culture that's based on genocide of multiple different groups of people. And so just acknowledging that, that there's a lot of people that are in trauma, you know, yeah. there's a oh, lot of, definitely. you know, whether we're LGBTQ or um, someone is of African descent or, you know, Latino or um, someone that's undocumented, an immigrant right now, yeah. you know, a Republican. Oh, my gosh. Fear for your life. No, I'm just kidding. Just <laughs> kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. I love Republicans. Um, I have Republicans in my family. There oh, my gosh. Go. I even go. know some Republicans. <laughs> Um, but just, you know, that acknowledgement of, you know, that wholehearted living of that being open to, you know, just, just not just loving people, but being gracious with people and how they show up 
and not taking things personally and not not like when someone gives us attitude like not automatically just giving attitude back yeah like how do we you know respond in a gracious way and if they're being snide like do i have to be snide back or can i be loving back yeah you know or can i you know can i be gracious with that person and realize that maybe their snide comment was directed at me but it had nothing to do with me in the first place. Yeah. Then maybe there was other things in that person's life that are causing them and they just feel comfortable because I'm a comfortable person to lash out or to say something. Yeah. And so I'm trying to take it from that point because when I was younger, I was a little bit different. I was a little bit more like, and I suppose I can still be like, what did you say to me? Yeah, really? What did you say? Like so you're I was more a lot aggressive more like or that. something or assertive. Um, I still, I'm still assertive. I'm yeah. still very assertive. Um, I was a little bit more willing to engage in. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Like you know, um, verbal altercations. I guess <laughs> yeah. you know, say something to me. I'm gonna speak back to you. Yeah. Um, I'm a little bit less like that now. I'm a little yeah. bit more like a go. You know, like the guy last night. Ordinarily, like when I was younger, I would have been like you know what, skinny jeans are stupid and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, you know, his comment was his comment and he was, you know, probably down there for the bar. That's my implicit bias. But that's why, you know, most of these young folks are hanging out in downtown on a Friday or Saturday night. And, you know, it is what it is. And that's kind of a common thing right now in our culture to just joke and be like, oh, kill yourself. Or, you know, or um, when people make the little hand motion, uh, there's someone in my life right now that's in leadership that does the little thing where he puts his hand to his head and acts like he's shooting himself in the head. And we're working with folks who are dealing with like mental with mental health yeah. and things like that. And it's like, that's really not appropriate to be making a little hand motion like, oh, I should just kill myself because yeah. I, I screwed up. No, that is really not okay to be doing that. And, you know, living in this like kind of like petty like culture that we live in right now where people just think it's okay to tell someone to go kill themselves. Yeah. Like it's some kind of a joke. Suicide isn't a joke. Suicide rates are going up through the roof right now. So do you think our society has become more expressive in their vulnerability or do you think it's we're going backwards and people are like keeping their feelings to themselves and not becoming as vulnerable as they should be? Because I re- I've always believed this and I still believe, I'll always believe it. I think... When you're the most vulnerable, it's when you're being the most honest. And maybe not with everybody else, but at least with yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's a challenge, like, in being vulnerable. Like, not everybody... Not everybody can be. Yeah. Not everybody wants to be. Definitely not, not everybody, everybody wants to be. Not everybody's That's for able sure. to be. And yeah. that could be, you know, because of abuse or neglect or lack of connection yeah. or. Or um, just the fear, a fear of being yeah. hurt. You know, there's, uh, you know, like my partner um, has this great, this great f- fear and, and, and this great mistrust on being vulnerable with, with anybody because basically his mother and father just gave up on him. And, you know, just send him away. And so, of course, the first model of what he saw in the, in the relationship was, you know, his mother and father being divorced and then just saying, you know what, son, we don't want you around anymore. And so we're just going to put you in a foster home. So that's a lot to carry. That's, you know, so it's hard for you to be vulnerable again. It's hard for you to trust and be vulnerable because you're thinking to yourself, well, if I'm vulnerable and I trust people, 
they're going to do the same thing what my mother and mm-hmm. father first did to me. Yeah. So that's why one of the reasons why I keep becoming, I still am vulnerable with this person and I don't give up on this person because mm-hmm. I know this person is carrying abnormal baggage. This mm-hmm. is not normal that somebody would, you know, just go take you to foster care and make you go through all that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a normal day experience that people go to. That's just like an abnormal experience. So sometimes you have to remember what you have gone through as a child or what you haven't gone through, you know, affects totally what is going through right mm-hmm. now, you as an adult, mm-hmm. you know, so you have to always keep that in mind. And that's, um, that's being vulnerable, you know, being yeah. vulnerable and being able to be, to really, you know, evaluate your decisions and, and, and you know, what you're going to do with your life mm-hmm. and what, how you're going to treat other people and, how, and especially how you're going to treat yourself. Yeah, and absolutely. Wow, Chevelle, we've covered a lot of things. We started with dancing. We've covered relationships. We've covered trust. We've covered moving to L.A. We've covered empathy. We've covered listening. We've covered speaking out. We've covered homelessness. We've covered family. We've covered being <laughs> LGBTQ. We've cried. Yeah. We've laughed. Yeah. <laughs> um, as we come to the end of this episode of Real Good mm-hmm. Stuff, is there any last thoughts about vulnerability that you'd like to share with the listeners? Mm, that's a good question. I would just say um, be the most trusting so you can be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Be the most vulnerable so you can be trusting. Mm -hmm. That's about it. That's good. That's a good point. Yeah. Trusting. It's a lot to do with vulnerability. Yes. Oh, yes. They go hand in hand. Yeah. Well, I'm really grateful that you're willing to make yourself vulnerable enough to participate in the podcast classes. Yes, thank you. And so continue much for showing you've up. Done for all of us. Well, I intend to keep doing it. We're excited. We're we're gonna keep going and we're gonna keep recording the conversations about creating a podcast yeah. series and we're gonna keep having the classes and the advanced classes and welcoming new folks and I'm just I'm really happy to be on this podcast listening journey with everyone and I'm definitely learning a lot about how ways to be more open and be more trusting myself. Cause I, I think we all have, you know, ways that we can grow yeah. in vulnerability. And I just wanted to give, uh, give you a million thanks, you know, for giving me this platform. Cause it's not, I normally don't speak about my vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So I just want all the listeners out there to have a good idea that you're not going to probably hear me in a long time speak about this topic again. So mm-hmm. I just want everybody, to know that, <laughs> you know, I, I like to keep it chipper and like happy and, you know, it's so um, vulnerability to me is very important, you know, to express, but it's also part of me that um, I keep close to myself, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, so I try to That's always, you know, be happy and, mm-hmm. you know, vulnerability is great. And I'm not saying being vulnerable is not being unhappy. I'm just saying, this is probably not, you're not going to see this all, all, all you're not going to hear this from me all the time. So I just want to shout out to Scott for being able to give me this platform to express myself openly and freely and to a million drops for us being able to do this right now at this time in my life. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Chevelle. And <laughs> thank you to all of the podcast class participants. Thank you to a million drops for sponsoring this great yes. program. Real good stuff. We have been recording here at A Million Drops Learning Center. We are located at 1711 North Van Ness Avenue uh, on the corner of Hollywood and Van Ness. Uh, thank you so much for listening to realgoodstuff.org. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. It's good, bye.